en een hartelijke goeie morgen. Welkom bij ons program Skrifteerlik, waar ons wekelijk saam na oplossing soek uit die skrifte, vervra waarmee gewone mense sikkel. Die Bijbel sê in Johannes 17, 17, die woord is waarheid, heilig hulle na die woord. En Psalm 119, sê, die woord is een lamp vir my voete en een licht vir my pad. Kom dan saam met ons vir die volgende uur, wanneer ons geen steen onaangeraak laat, om die waarheid te vind en licht te skyn op die vraag uit die skrifte, waarmee ek en jy mondtik kan worstel nie. Krijg dus gauw jou Bijbel en kom onderzoek saam met ons die skrifte. Dis moes nou skrifteerlik. Our family is just getting bigger and bigger. Welcome to 657 AM. That's where you are. Good morning. Still an hour to go before midday and greeting you for God's footstool in Kilner Park in Pretoria. Uh, we added something to the program this morning. The good news is you can watch us now on YouTube. You can watch us live and you can watch Rocky live on Facebook as well. There he sits. Uh, his glory yourself, Rocky, good morning. You need to smile now, my brother, continuously smiling. Eh? Good morning, brother. Um, you know, some of us just have a better face for radio, right? Uh, yes, indeed. Video. Those, so. yeah, well, there's a reason why I do radio and not TV. Uh, you at uh, the reception end of that uh, camera there, so we can see wherever we are. If you want to meet the brother face-to-face, go to Facebook. You can watch him live on Facebook at the moment, and also on YouTube. Just go to the Radio Pulpit channel, and you can watch it there. So, for the next, uh, uh, just under an hour, we're going to tackle some difficult questions which you and I might be struggling with out of God's word and this is the program where you can ask it live on air. I'm going to give you a telephone number that you can contact. Uh, It's a WhatsApp number and kindly just be reminded no voice notes, nothing else, don't phone it, just type out your question, send it in to 0826572729. It is the number that we use for anything and everything Yeah, in studio. So once you've got it saved on your phone, it's as easy as calling it up under WhatsApp. You'll see the radio pulpit uh, uh, sign there, the little logo, and you send it into radio pulpit 0826572729. If you're just listening this morning, can I ask you, Please pray for us. We have prayed for you before going on air that God would sow the seed on fertile soil this morning. And would you pray for Pastor Rocky that the questions as we answer them, that it not be in the flesh, but in the spirit. After all, man is not interested in man's opinion, but in the Lord's opinion, so that we share the undiluted word of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you have lifestyle questions, you ask him, yeah, you've got questions. Questions out of God's Word, you ask them, yeah, send them in. Uh, just as a sideline remark, uh, please mention the scripture that you're struggling with. Send it through to us, 082-657-2729, and that's all lekker wees om saam met jou dan die program te kan doen. Ons is tot so 5 voor 12 uur so, en baie dankie dan ook by voorbaat vir jou uh, deelname. Renier het vir ons een vraag gesteer, is going to church the only way uh, together with other saints, because the Bible says not to neglect the gathering of the saints. Is it the only way to gather with other brothers and sisters? What do we answer, Renia, the uh, Rocky? How do we answer yeah. out of God's word? Yeah, so thank you for that question. While attending church is 
an essential way to gather and assemble uh, with other believers. It's not the only way, but but Hebrews 10 verse 25 says, not forsaking our own assembling together. And I do love the words assembling. I do think it carries a, a greater weight than simply gathering. For example, um, I've heard it said like this, if you have a toaster that is in a box, it is all assembled. The parts are assembled so that you can plug the toaster in and it works. You don't just have all the parts of the toaster that are gathered inside of the box. You have it assembled. And so there's something special when it comes to the assembly of the saints that are underneath the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ, where the word of God is being preached, where the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper are being practiced and seen, where the word of God is being sung, where the word of God is being prayed, where you're able to fellowship around the word of God. And there's something unique in that regard. Now, some of the early church actually would meet in houses, yet when they met, it was the church that met. It was not at the house of of Lydia, for example. You would have the church in Lydia's house. And that was when there was that assembled habit of the Lord's Day type of an assembly. But Hebrews 10.25 says, Not forsaking our assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So there is that importance of not neglecting that corporate assembled worship of God. But the Bible also does highlight some other forms of gatherings by believers. And even within homes, you know, Acts 2 verse 46 to 47 says, And daily devoting themselves with one another in the temple and the breaking of bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number daily those that were being saved. Now, when we talk about the uh, the local church, we are speaking about that representation of the universal church of the Lord Jesus Christ, a place where there are also those that do qualify when it comes to leadership structures of elders and deacons like First Timothy 3, you know, we, we, what we have in Titus chapter 1 regarding elders. And there you have a structure of a local church assembled gathering. But there are times where Christians get to meet with one another in house-to-house or in home cell type of environments, Bible studies, discipleship. We are ourselves primarily disciples. We are disciples of Jesus, and we also disciple others. And that happens oftentimes in very um, different kinds of settings. You could have that even in a coffee shop. But the church itself, when we talk of church and local church, we're talking about an assembly of believers, okay. and in particular on the Lord's Day, that has been the practice since the early church. Now, there are some countries where you can't do that, and that's where I would bring a bit of a caveat in as well. If there are persecuted Christians in countries where Christianity is outlawed, you have something called the underground church, and there you would have the church meeting in secret often. And um, and actually planning times to meet, sometimes not on the Lord's Day, but the church still assembles. God still gifts the church with various people, with various gifts of the Holy Spirit for that local congregation. And there's still that assembly of the saints together. Now, that might be an agreed upon time at a different time than the Lord's Day. Maybe those saints, the best and safest is to meet on a Tuesday night at 6 o'clock at so-and-so's place, or maybe it changes to a different venue the next week based on the danger that they are under in regard to persecution. Uh, but that, that would be still the assembling of the saints together and then not forsaking that assembly. At Benoni Bible Church, we have in our statement of faith 
and our constitution a little section regarding our members and it says that they are to meet together um, for the Lord's Day unless they are providentially hindered. Now, sadly, today, many make a new definition of providentially hindered. The rugby's on <laughs> or whatever else yeah, yeah. is the yeah, distraction. Yeah. Yeah. Yet um, I thank God, even for the first rugby game that we had, it was South Africa um, playing at the same time as our evening service. And I thank God that that was the privilege to be able to say to the Lord Jesus, Jesus, you're worth more to us than what a rugby game is. Yes. And we're going to honor you in the way that we do as the assembled body of Christ, no matter what comes our way. And so that, I think, is something of a commitment that a Christian ought to make. And even in the day of Hebrews 10, there were some that made it a habit to not actually assemble together. Yeah. And, and we need to be a people that, I think, get back to that habit of assembling together for um, as the body of Christ. Right, uh, Rinian, I uh, hope uh, that answers your question. Bless your heart. Uh, thank you so much uh, for uh, for uh, posting that question. As jy vraag het wat jy wil instuur, dan stuur jy het in 0826572729. Just a sideline uh, comment. Uh, please just uh, add the scriptures with which you're struggling. Can I just put in a disclaimer here on the next question? Before we ask the question, once many years ago, whilst still working for another radio station down in the Eastern Cape, I made the following statement on air. And I said, I do not drink. I do not drink alcohol, but I don't think there's anything wrong with it. That's what I said. And a dear brother in the Lord asked if he can could come and see me. And I said, yes, by all means. And he came and he saw, and he said to me, listen, the Lord Jesus Christ set me free from alcoholism. And something like that on air could be a stumbling block, a comment like that that you made. And in my heart, I, I, I you know, I, I searched my heart and I thought about this and I prayed about this. And so... The question that we received is, what does the Bible teach about alcohol? Should the Christian drink or not? Mm. Now, keeping in mind that there are millions of people on earth, and I'm not even talking about worldly people. I'm talking about Christians that being set free, that struggle with alcoholism. What do we answer a brother like that who answers a question uh, who, who asks a question like this Rocky Yeah and so uh, Bearing in mind what you've just caveated it with The Bible neither condemns Nor endorses alcohol yeah. In an outright way Instead the scriptures actually Speak of moderation As yes. well as wisdom in the use of alcohol Yes And no overdosing of it And the responsibility of, of each individual when it comes to the consumption of alcohol is permissive, permissible within yeah. the scriptures, but drunkenness is clearly discouraged in the Bible and is sinful. You know, even when you have Ephesians 5 verse 18, you have um, this vivid picture where it says, do not get drunk with wine, which yeah. leads to dissipation yes. or de debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And that even gives that picture of the way that wine so easily if, if you're getting drunk on it, actually it becomes a spirit that is intoxicating and causes you to, to be controlled by it. And yeah. in a sense, you, you do things that you wouldn't ordinarily do 
in your right mind. And it begins to, in a sense, control you. And that's the picture that is given of what the Holy Spirit should be in the Christian. The Holy Spirit should be such a controlling force to the Christian. We should be so filled with the Holy Spirit that we do what the Holy Spirit would have us do. We would do what we would not naturally do without the help of the Holy Spirit. And so there's that picture. And I do believe that that is one of the the, the insights that we have as to why God has allowed wine to be made, or let's say fruit juice that was first uh, grape juice, yes. to actually ferment to get to such a point that it would become intoxicating. Yeah. Because the real picture of what the Christian life should be is that we should be intoxicated with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And we should be driven by the Holy Spirit. We should do what the Holy Spirit even teaches us. He pours out God's love into our hearts. He enables us to pray. He enables us to witness for Christ. When we have difficulty even saying the things that we ought to say according to God's word, the Holy Spirit brings to remembrance the word of God for us. And so the, the, the Christian is to be one that is intoxicated with the Holy Spirit of God, so filled with the Spirit of God that his, his whole faculty and all of the way that he is as an individual is controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. So as Christians, we should be mindful then of our actions as well, and we should be considerate of others, when you, even what you caveated it with. Yeah, not to be a stumbling on, block. Not yeah. to be a stumbling block. Yeah. You know, 1 Corinthians 8 verse 9 even speaks of that. It says, but see to it that that this authority of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if it is weak, be built up to eat things sacrificed to idols? Now, that's speaking in particular to food that was offered to idols. And Paul actually says there's no such thing as an idol. All food is good. And is to have, you should have the right to have the consumption of that. But the point he's making is don't go and eat the food that's offered to idols. You're going to then make your brother to stumble. So even with what I've said here, myself, even my wife, our leaders in our church, we don't take part in any drinking of alcohol at all because of the way that it can be a stumbling block. Now, we're speaking in a South African context where there is a lot of alcoholism, even inside of our own country, but there are also places in the world where they don't have as good cleaning of water facilities, and that's something that they practiced in the New Testament church. They would mix a little bit of wine into the water to actually kill off the bacteria. And that's something that when Paul speaks to Timothy about his frequent stomach issues. He says to him, drink a little bit of wine. So there's actually even a command (laughs) to Timothy to mix a bit of wine with his water, which likely would have actually sorted out some of the bacteria issues that Timothy was facing in his day. So water becomes brackish and wine actually the alcohol in that wine can actually cure some of the brackish water. And so you could mix a bit of wine with, um, let's say, our municipal, what do, what do we call it, our city punch. You know, if our city punch gets so bad in our country and it's not getting cleaned properly, you could mix a little bit of wine with it and it would kill some of the bacteria that is there. And so there are some marvelous properties to wine and to to the alcohol element. And I know that there's some medications that would have a level of that as well. Even apple cider vinegar has a level. It's not exactly alcohol, but it is a fermented type of a, um, you know, it's helpful in that sense. So I want to say that there is some elements of this that is good, but at the same time, we must use it rightly. And that's, I think, what the Bible would have us do as Christians. But the major emphasis is that we should be under the influence 
of the Holy Spirit, not under the influence of any form of alcohol. Pastor Neville Norden, that said quite rightly, well, you are not Timothy and you don't have a stomach ailment, so don't use it as an excuse. Uh, Just uh, to add to our discussion, many years ago, before the Lord saved me and after he saved me, uh, I I came across the scripture and it's Proverbs 31 and verse 4. Spreke 31 vers 4, die konings lemel, die konings moet die weinder in die vorste moet nie sterk drank begeer nie. Uh, anders te drink en hy vergeer die inzetting en verdraai die recht van die ellendige geest. Sterk drank aan hom wat wil ondergaan. Spreek 31:4 tot 6. Gee sterk drank aan hom wat wil ondergaan in wijn aan die wat bitter bedroef is. So ja, so mag die Heere ook deur hierdie skrif jou hart aanraak en met jou praat en jou uitdaag verochend, maar die groe ding is dat ons daar nie uh, a, a, a is vir iemand wat met dit sikkel nie. Die WhatsApp nommer in die atelier 0826572729 en dit sal lekker wees om jou te raak te sien hier op WhatsApp, stuur vir ons jou vraag in en ons bespreek dit hier in die program hier in die atelier so Rocky, jy is tevrede daar, Celia het vir ons een vraag ingestuur, goeiemorgen sê Celia, kom ons translate om, Google translate om net daar vir Rocky ook, dat hy kan duidelijk sien en nie verdwaas staan, daar staan in Genesis 4 vers 4 I will offer the sacrifices according to Numbers 18 and verse 17's instruction and here's the question, very very interesting question, how did Abel know about the law's perception, precepts uh, so long before the law were actually enacted uh, what do we answer, the listener what a good question, never had yes. this one before yes. yeah this is an excellent question and um, we, we must remember that much of the scriptures had not yet been written down, but Adam and Eve had walked with God. We also know that Adam and Eve had experienced that first sacrifice that God had made of an animal so that they could be covered with the skin. And so there was death immediately there in the garden after the sin of Adam and Eve. They initially covered themselves with fig leaves, but then God killed an animal and he used the skin to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve. And it is presumed, many theologians have discussions on this, that Adam and Eve would have even eaten of that animal. Oh, and right. that would have been the first time. No idea what death, an animal it is. Uh, most likely a sheep. Um, oh, right. But, but they, would have, they would have had some type of a knowledge of this. Now, it's interesting also that you have Cain and Abel both bringing different offerings. Cain. Yeah was a man who was looking after the field and he would um, have different vegetables, etc. And it would seem that he even brought the best of his vegetables, the first fruit of that field. And he expected that God would actually just accept that because he brought such a great offering to God. But the New Testament in Hebrews tells us that that his offering was not accepted because it was not offered in faith. Whereas Abel brings a sacrifice that was offered in faith. And therefore his sacrifice was pleasing to the Lord. And so the Lord accepts the offering of Abel, but Cain's offering was not acceptable. Wasn't it also the fact that it was the works of men, that it was actually, you know, planted? uh, And we so like to have a formula, look, Lord, what I have done, look what I bring to you. Mm. Whereas whereas, uh, Abel's offering was absolutely in faith, the blood would would be suffice? Yeah, I think that we, um, I've had a long debate about this. 
at various times because some people would believe that the reason that Abel's sacrifice was accepted was because of the fact that it was a blood sacrifice. Yeah. Yet we actually don't see that in the broader a perspective of the scriptures what we do see in the book of hebrews is that it was accepted because he brought it in faith All right. now you think about um you know Matthew 7 where you have these people that come before the Lord and they say Lord Lord we did all these mighty things in your name yeah. we healed the sick we cast out demons we did many mighty works and he says get away from me for I never knew you they came with the same attitude that Cain came with which was not in an attitude of faith yeah. what Abel did he knew that this animal would never ever save him all he right. knew that this would never ever cure him but he knew that God had promised his mother um Eve, you know, Genesis 3 verse 15, we call it the pre-evangelion. That's the, yeah. the theological name for that promise in Genesis 3.15 where, where God speaks to Eve and speaks about her seed would one day come and there would be redemption. And so Abel offers his sacrifice in that faith, knowing that God has given a promise, that there would, be, there would come a day when God would make a way for mankind to be made right with him once more. And that's why his sacrifice was accepted. Now, I mean, I, I do think that there is an element where uh, we, do, we do see something of a divine story for us in that this was a lamb that was slaughtered by Abel. And we know that John the Baptist even looks at Jesus in, as Jesus is coming. He says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away yes. the sin of the world. Now, yeah. all of the lambs of the Old Testament never, ever saved anybody. It's always been Jesus and Jesus' sacrifice at the cross that has saved anybody at all. And so we do have that divine picture that comes to, to bear. But getting back to the question as well, the oral tradition even that would have passed down from Adam and Eve to Cain and Abel and from them to their children. Remember that the world had one language at this point. You haven't got the Tower of Babel yet. Very you much even so. have somebody like Noah in Genesis 6, just after Genesis 6, after the flood. You have Noah sacrificing to God. You have somebody like Job that, that even before the first five books of the Bible were written, remember that the first five books of the Bible were written by Moses while Moses is with the people of Israel in the Sinai Peninsula through that through that 40-year wilderness wanderings is when the first five books of the Bible are written. Now, the book of Job likely was written before Genesis was written, even though the dates of the events in Genesis precede that of the book of Job. Job was written during a time of the patriarchs, the patriarchs being Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Job was even sacrificing for his children. And yeah. so there was this oral tradition that was led, that, that, that really was led down from generation to generation. Shem would have told his children, would have told his children, would have told his children, and there were sacrifices that were taking place amongst pagans at that time. And so the sacrificial system was something in the mind of the people, yet Moses actually enshrines that with tabernacle worship and the way in which the, 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 this would take place. And, and in particular, with that last plague that happens to the people of, of Egypt as the firstborn dies. And as the people of Israel, through that, that Passover lamb, would sacrifice the lamb, put the lamb's blood on the doorways. Yeah, yeah. And the Passover would take place, that foreshadowing picture of that one day Passover lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, who he himself died over Passover. He was the perfect Passover lamb. And that's where that curtain was torn from top to bottom and that whole sacrificial system, which was a shadow pointing to the coming of Christ, would pass away. But there will be once more sacrificial, uh, a sacrificial system in the millennial reign of Christ. We have a new temple to look forward to according to Ezekiel. We, uh, we, we see in, um, in, in the scriptures that we will once more 
take part in sacrifices again, but that will be a very different sacrificial system as well, where we have the whole plane laid out before us, and we can see the whole plan of God's redemptive plan. But it's also a joy to see that God has has allowed man to even eat of the flesh of animals, and that is something of an Old Testament principle yeah. and even a New Testament principle. But death has come about because of the sin of mankind. So all of this has been there, and it has been passed down orally before the writing of the the Bible. And um, God, in his mercy, has walked with man even before the inspiration of the Scriptures. Answer so the answer to the question. Thank you so much. How did Abel know about the law's precepts uh, so long before the laws were actually enacted? I trust that answers it uh, for you. The uh, number in studio: zero eight two six five seven two seven two nine. Zero eight two six five seven two seven two nine. If you've got a question, and we're broadcasting scriptural live for the first time ever, we're broadcasting it live. You can catch us on. Uh, Facebook at the moment. Uh, in fact, you will see Pastor Rocky there. I'm handling the technical side of things behind the curtain, and you can see him sitting there uh, in a stereo answering your questions. Also on Facebook this morning, uh, you can see the broadcast there as well, and you come back uh, can come back at any stage for reference to anything that we've said this morning. Let me just uh, check with uh, Rocky on the next one. He says, I'm happy. Let's go for it. Genesis 6. Kolia, it's your turn now. Uh, Genesis 6, 1 to 4. To whom do the heavenly beings and giants refer here? Are they angels? Are they humans? Are they demons? Greetings. Thank you so much. How do we answer this, sister? Yeah, this is, a, this, this is something of a mystery in the Old Testament. And what's difficult about this is it's multifaceted because we do see in Peter as well as in Jude that there were angels that left their rightful place. There's some angels that are even now locked up at this moment because of things that were done before Noah's time. And what's, I think, difficult also for us is that when it comes to the sufficiency of the Scriptures, God's Word is absolutely sufficient for everything that we need for life, and for godliness. But Deuteronomy even tells us that there are certain secret things that are God's things that, that we don't yet fully understand. And so there's much controversy even regarding Genesis 6. There's a couple of theories. One theory is that you have the demonic actually becoming uh, human somehow, and maybe even through some form of technology, etc., and then actually having intercourse with the children of man, and therefore then producing this giant race that is Numerous not actually, you know, that is not actually uh, the Nephilim and etc., and that, that they are not human. They kind yeah. of like semi-human, semi-not human, and that's how these giants came about. I think that that. That argument, what's difficult about it, our Lord Jesus says that the angels are neither given in marriage or taken in marriage. Uh, Jesus gives us a, an idea that, that angels aren't able to procreate in that sense. And so God is the author of life. He gives life. He takes life. And so the, the concept of the angelic able to, in a sense, have intercourse with mankind is, is a bit of a sketchy one. However, there is also Sodom and Gomorrah and that example where the two angels come w to, to Lot. And at Lot's house, the whole of the people, and, and you can see the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah had, had risen to such a height yeah. that all the men, both young and old, came out and wanted to have intercourse with these two angels. 
And so they were judged, not just for the sin of sodomy as such, they were, they were judged for something even deeper. They'd crossed a further barrier where they, they wanted to take the angelic and now make that as, as some, they wanted to do something with yeah. these angels. They wanted yeah. to have intercourse with the angels. Yeah. And, and so you, you do see a line going too far, even there with Sodom and Gomorrah. And you have that same kind of thing that was happening before now the, the flood. So the other theory is that some of mankind was indwelled by demons. And I think that that is a bit of a closer theory to what I what I would be more comfortable with, yeah. in, because we still have demonic possession now, and, and and the demon being a a a a being without a body, yes, simply and they they uh, inhabit yeah. the, the so, body of human beings so that they can fulfill these these lusts and these things that they have these yeah, so, sinful so cravings. I, I think that you have the demonic. Now, a third of heaven's angels fell with Satan. Yeah. And the demons are able to to possess an individual. Yeah. And if an individual has opened themselves up to this, yeah. even in our day with the through the occult and through various practices. And we see that with legion uh, we as well. We see that with legion. We see that even with when, when people today take part in um, in various mind-altering drugs, etc. Yeah. This yeah. is a, it's all, a, in a sense, a gateway towards the demonic <laughs> in that sense. Mm. And, um, and I do think... We, we are very ignorant as to what kind of technologies were available before the flood. I can only imagine, you know, if you think about Noah's grandfather was alive at the same time that Adam was alive, according to the timeline. Yes. They were, I mean, they were living so long. Methuselah living almost a thousand years. They're all speaking one language. They're, they're way more smart than what we would give them credit. You know, if you think of even gen- genetics and you have to study genetics, you'll see that gen- genes are growing, um, let's say, weaker and weaker over time. Yeah. You had a, a pool of genetics that was so strong at this point before the flood, and you've got this scene that comes about. Now, another argument as well, in Job chapter 1, you can see that the sons of God were before God, and that was speaking about the angelic. It yeah. was speaking yeah. about... And both, and Satan was there as well. He appeared before God too in Job chapter one, and they and they referred to their sons of God, which is the same way that in Genesis chapter six you speak of the sons of God, and so there's that as well. And then there's also a theory regarding the sons of God being the children of of um, uh, man. You got uh, Abel, and then you've got uh, the third from Adam, Seth. Yeah, uh, there we go, Seth. And, and that they were now the sons of Seth. And so the sons of Seth then took the daughters of Cain or the daughters of Cain and Abel because Cain and Abel could have also had sons and daughters by that point. Remember that, that they were already adults when Cain killed Abel and you get that picture of what happened with Cain and Abel. So it is possible that Abel himself had had a wife already. Cain had had a wife already. Cain later on is a wanderer and he settles in a city. So the world was already being populated by sons and daughters because Adam and Eve even had more sons and daughters. And these people probably knew each other. And it took many years before they had Seth which was the third son, but they may have had, they would have likely had other daughters yeah. already at this point. So Cain and Abel had already probably had families and already the earth was becoming populated. But something, again, that's a difficulty for us, and let me get back to that, is so much history is covered in Genesis 1 to 11. So much of it. Yeah. But everything that we need for life and godliness is given to us in God's word. But there's a lot of mystery for us. And I do think it's okay for the Christian to say, I actually don't quite know. Because one other thing that we find is that later on in Numbers chapter 18, 
you actually have, um, or sorry, Numbers 13, verse 33. You have a reference there where it says, there also, were, we, there also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, are part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so were in their sight. And so you have even the, the Nephilim after the flood. It wasn't just before the flood. Yeah. So something, yeah. something I think genetic was happening there, and that would be the closest kind of a, a, um, a point that I would get to. And I think that mankind, even in our day, is starting to to really fiddle with the genetic elements yeah, of mankind. We see it there. And we've yeah. seen something of what was happening at Sodom and Gomorrah, something of what was happening pre the flood, that's starting to get to a place in our world today that I think is is moving towards again that time as just before the flood where we may even start to see some of that. And we've seen some of the experiments that are the starting to happen. The stem cell experiments, Yes, yeah. the, the experiments that are even happening, even with the army of, of China, they've been yeah. starting to do genetic testings, etc. They're starting to be gene-altering technologies that are put wow. into uh, medications in our world today. They're starting to put with Neuralink, they're starting to put a chip into the brain that's starting to be able to. And it's actually quite fascinating when you look at these things. They're able to take somebody that cannot talk and they put a chip on and they put a connection onto the brain and they're able to actually through the help of a computer start to talk to their spouse so there's marvelous feats as far as um, technology goes with this but we're starting to get to a place and even with something like ai where i don't think we're far away from even a robot that is i mean there's i mean i'm getting into sidetrack a little bit but i saw recently that in um israel netanyahu was at a factory where they are you they are able to print 3d print you a steak or a fish or a chicken (laughs) and and they're making this technology in our day where they're making you a steak with with Mm. live cells that it's almost as though that cow was was um uh, slaughtered 10 minutes before it gets cooked yeah. Because they're able to do this with 3D printing, and it takes 10 minutes to make you a steak. What do we say about the, the Word of God that says nothing is new? Yes. and so Nothing you wonder, is new. Yeah. You wonder to yourself, what kind of a technology was there even before the ark? If you have to think exactly. about the dimensions of yeah. the ark, and they've actually built a life-sized copy of the ark um, down in America somewhere yeah. that you can go and visit. I mean, the technologies that must have been available to be able to even build the ark in yeah. Noah's day, even though he took 120 years, but he yeah. was a preacher of righteousness during those 120 years. But it was him and his three sons that yeah. built this ark. I, I, I battle to, you know, you battle to wrap your mind around what God was even doing during that time pre the flood. And, and all of those people hardened their hearts. And that's the sad reality. And yeah. I think that's where we need to get back to even with a question like this. What are you going to do with the Bible? Even if you don't understand all of these things that are in the Word of God, what are you going to do with the Bible? Are you going to harden your heart? Are you going to let, let the things that you read about that are confusing to you to cause you to turn away from God? In fact, it should cause you to have a level of awe and wonder where you are turned towards the Lord and where you say, please, Spirit of God, give me an understanding of your Word. And help me to be a person that honors you. Um, just as a side note again, somebody like, um, we, we do see the last kind of giants in the Bible through David's life. You have David killing Goliath. There were other um, giants in that day as well. I mean, yeah, Goliath well, was. Goliath had a brother. Yeah, I mean, Goliath was almost as tall as a three story building. I mean, you yeah. think it's like, I mean, well, not three story, two story, <laughs> I mean, nine, nine foot. I mean, so it was myself added a half of me onto me and uh, and you'd have this giant 
And, uh, I mean, huge. If you go and read about the weights and you convert it into kilograms of what he was carrying with his shield and his helmet and all of these things. Um, I mean, it's just fascinating. But there were many other giants at that time as well that were thought to have been these descendants of the Nephilim. Yeah. And, and you do have even there from Noah, and that's the sad reality. You've got Shem, Ham, Jopheth. And Ham, again, was cursed of God. Because he laughed at the nakedness of his father. And so you had wickedness right after. And again, back to our, our alcohol um, question, you had Noah getting drunk right yeah, after terrible, um, yeah. the, the time of the flood. Yeah. And you have then Ham laughing at the nakedness of his father. We're not I sure exactly mind. even what took place there. The, the Bible doesn't describe it exactly for us. But you have even after the flood, you've got Nephilim again. And I think we're heading to a stage where mankind is fiddling in such a way that we may again have Nephilim on the earth once more. And even there, possibly even demonically um, charged and demonically empowered. And somebody even like Goliath may well have been demonically inspired, even with what he was doing when he's trying to go against God. And David, in his bravery, stands against yeah. him and says, I, can, yeah. I come to you in the name of the Lord. Korlia, bless your heart. Thank you so much. Interesting question. Baie interessante vraag. Baie dankie dat jy dit vir ons gestuur het. Ek wil gehoorzaam wees aan die autoriteite wat oor ons aangestel is en sê ons moet daarom ook gauwe muziek breekvat. Leland op die draaitafel. When we come back, we take some more questions. Ons het nie veel meer tyd oor nie. Follow you, this one is called. And I trust that even as you listen to God's word and how we dissect it and look at it from all possible angles, that you have it in your heart to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, 082 657 the number which you send your uh, WhatsApp questions to. And if you want to watch uh, Pastor Rocky, you can do so. Go onto uh, Facebook or go onto Google. Go onto YouTube, the YouTube channel, and you can see him there as well. That's where you tune to. Warm-hearted good morning to you and uh, welcome to the program. We've got, uh, what is it, just over 10 minutes left in this program and we had an anonymous question. Please keep me anonymous. I can see the name there. But, uh, well, you're welcome to send in your anonymous questions as well. How would one know if one is filled with the Holy Spirit? A simple question. And uh, I think many a person are thinking about this. How will I know, Rocky? What does the Word of God says? One of the ways that you can know for sure is you can go and look at the list of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, because when the Holy Spirit is present in your life, you will have the fruit, and I say fruit in the singular, because it is in the scriptures in the singular. Many people will say the fruits of the Holy Spirit, but it is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. All of those combined All in of one. them combined in one. So if you go and look at that list in, in Galatians 5, verse 22 to 23, you'll see uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. But just before the fruit of the Spirit, you have the fruit of what is fleshly, because he speaks about now the deeds of the flesh are evident, in verse 19, which are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, Envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, but the fruit of the Spirit. So if you assess your life, and you are honest in the assessment of your life, 
and you weigh up now this list that you see in Galatians 5 from verse, let's say even from there, verse 19, all the way down to verse 23, what is your life producing? Are you seeing somebody that is fleshly, or are you seeing somebody that is filled with the Spirit of God? If you are filled with the Spirit of God, then the fruit of the Spirit will be present and all of that fruit will be present right. now somehow you might be a less gentle person that's what i more, wanted to ask you know and a more patient person yeah. but you'll still be growing in gentleness and that fruit will become to you know it's almost as though you can picture a tree that starts to be laden with fruit it begins to bend low there's a humility and the fruit becomes something that all can take part in and enjoy and people seeing you even that fruit of God. And then the spiritual gifts that we receive because of the Holy Spirit. If you look at something like 1 Corinthians chapter 12 from verse 4 to 11, we have a list of various spiritual gifts. If you are filled with the Spirit of God, then you will receive a spiritual gift, which will be used for the edification of the body of Christ. And so that's another way to know that you have the Spirit of God, is are you serving believers like you never served them before when you were unsaved? Because you have a desire in you to serve, and God has given you a gift within the context of the local body to use it. But I'm back to that scripture that you quoted, Matthew 7, 7. Lord, have we not preached in your name? Have we not done great miracles? Yet you don't have the Spirit of God in you because yep. it's it's all fleshly, isn't yes. it? Yes, and that's that's those that are self-deceived. And, and maybe, and even what you've said there leads me to think on something like First John. First John is a marvelous, marvelous epistle of John. And that's five chapters. It's a simple book to go and read, but so absolutely profound. I think there's about a, a 16 ways that you can know that you are saved throughout the book of First John. And that's a wonderful book for the assurance of salvation. And so that might be a good place for the listener to even go start as well, is go read the book of First John and highlight for yourself the ways that you can know that you are born again. If you're not sure about if you actually are born again, then go back to the Gospel of John, because the Gospel of John, according to John chapter 21, is written so that you might believe. So if you're not sure if you believe, go read the book of John and then start to believe the words, the deeds, the character, and the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ and turn to him so that you might live. And once you have received him as Lord and Savior, and that's what we see even with um, Romans chapter 10, if you confess that Jesus is Lord with your mouth and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be born again. And so we do see then the transformed life even, and that's another evidence of being filled with the Spirit of God, and that's Romans 8 verse 9, which says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. So even there in Romans 8, he actually gives the if, if clause, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, then you now are life, you're alive because of him, but you're not in the flesh any longer. And that transformed life then marks this desire to follow Christ and to live according to his desires and his teachings and as he has indicated by the Holy Spirit. And then also another element of which you can know that you have the Holy Spirit and that you are filled with the Spirit of God is is Acts 1 verse 8, which says that by uh, but you will be you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and the ends of the earth. 
And so one of the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is you begin to talk about Jesus. You begin to talk about Jesus' life. You begin to talk about Jesus' death. You begin to talk about Jesus' resurrection. You can't help but talk about Jesus yeah. to the people that are around you because you begin to witness, because you have the Spirit of God that is in you. So those that are filled with the Spirit of God are empowered to witness. And then another element, and a very important one, is prayer and communion with God. Romans 8, verse 26 to 27 highlights this. The Spirit of God dwelling within a believer begins to help that believer believer to commune with God. Even at times when the believer has groans that he can't even, and, and he doesn't even know exactly the words to say, the Spirit of God becomes our translator before God in regard to those deep yearnings within the heart of man and you're able to cry out Abba Father before you would call God God but now you call him Father because of the indwelling spirit of God so excellent question those are some of the ways biblically that you can know that you are filled with the spirit of God thank you so much beautiful Rocky time is caught up with us we almost need to say goodbye let's see if we can squeeze this in uh, Vanant I hear many people using Jeremiah at, uh, what is it 28 11 I, I think they uh, talking about 29 yes. yeah. uh, 29 11 is a promise that we can take uh, that promise but the Lord made it to Israel uh, but they take, we take it for ourselves as the body of Christ. Uh, are we cutting the word of God right here? Yeah, um, I think that the listener is dead, dead on, on track. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, which says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, declares Yahweh, plans for peace and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. That was to Israel that yeah. were about to go. They were going into captivity in 586 A.D., into um they were they were heading into babylon and god's plan for them was that they would come back to the land of israel and so this is the problem when we take verses out of their context and when we put them onto a little you know little card and we make it say something that it actually never ever said part of what was happening even at this point is jeremiah was being thrown into a pit um, israel was being dragged away into slavery we can't take this and say okay but but this is now a promise to you as the individual. What right. we could do is we could principalize and we could we could realize something like um, Romans, you know, Romans uh, eight twenty eight for you know it says there that that all things work together for the good of those that love Him and are called yeah. according to His purpose. That would be a better promise to even speak about as a Christian, knowing that God holds our future in His hands. But Jeremiah twenty nine eleven indeed that was for Israel themselves and rightly understood in the context God had a plan even for the captivity of Israel and he would send a redeemer. Pastor Rocky thank you so much uh, you've been on YouTube this morning not just as a pastor at Benoni Bible Church but in scriptural as well and also on Facebook if people need to be in touch with you where can they get hold of you please? You're welcome to send an email to pastor at Benoni Bible Church dot co dot za. Simple as that and now there's a responsibility you listened to this program you listened to the word of God and the word says, go and search the scriptures to see if these things are so. Such a privilege to have been in your car, in your house, at your place of work. Thank you for listening this morning. Search the scriptures. And the ultimate question is, can you testify that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is truly your Abba this morning? Till next time, keep well, God bless you, and shalom.